Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Roto-Wire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast, brought to you by ESPN Plus, the home of UFC 260, the exclusive home of UFC 260. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can give me a follow at Roto-Jake. Today we're going to be making our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 260, Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. Uh, some other quick housekeeping here. New sports betting section on Rotowire. We give you four or five legal sports books to kind of compare and shop around your odds here. And all sorts of props, sortable. We'll be referring to some of that later on. I mean, some of it helps for DFS when we're sorting by likelihood of a first-round finish or odds to finish in general. So all that stuff applies to DFS too, whether you're a handicapper or not. And then, of course, Fight IQ is going to be back on on the Rotowire YouTube channel um, at 8 Eastern time on Friday night. Going to be talking about the same thing. They're going to talk about whatever's left of this card here because, John, it, this has been absolute chaos here. Today's been a rough day. It was already kind of a short card to start with, um, and we haven't even gotten to weigh-ins yet. So let me do a quick summarize here. Um, apparently, Shane Young withdrew from the Omar Morales fight, but in an interview the other day, Shane Young said he's actually in. So uh, that fight's still a little bit uh, in limbo. William Knight had to withdraw, and he got put on a later card. So Alonzo is now fighting a newcomer in Fabio Chirant. And then, of course, Jessica Penne and Hannah Goldie. That fight has, there was a positive COVID test uh, somewhere in there, or a, a protocol thing, and uh, that got moved back to April 17th. Of course, we already lost Volkanovski and Ortega after Volkanovski apparently tested positive, but that's going to get moved back, you know, I'd imagine at least a month or two now, as long as he's not too symptomatic. I mean, what do we make of this, John? It's like, and we still got to get through weigh-ins. Yeah, uh, I think we kind of make it might not be the best idea to start running full arenas of 16,000 people next month. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that looks like where we're heading. So, yeah. Usman, um, Masvidal, and Jacksonville, I think they're going to do. Yeah. Like, I, 
if, if you yeah. remember the first time the UFC kind of came back, they went to that arena in Jacksonville. So I think Dana's got a bill come and do here. He's got to give them an event pretty soon. And he's been pretty stubborn. He says he's going to be the first. So I guess no matter what the cost, they're going to roll it out there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, we're getting, we talked about all the cancellations and reschedules we're getting now. And, you know, that's with whatever we're at, you know, the limit, I mean, the obviously apex or whatever, you know, really, you know, no fans really, but, um, yeah, we're good. This is not going away. I mean, as far as forget like a world view and a health pandemic view, as far as just, you know, scheduling fights and rescheduling fights, this isn't going away and it's not gonna, until everybody gets vaccinated, you know, we're going to have, this is something that's going to have to be dealt with. It just yeah. is what it is. I wonder where I trade blood with other people in a cage uh, falls on the vaccine priority list here. Like how many fighters are getting it and what, and what that whole process is. I mean, it comes down to state, I suppose. So uh, we could, it could be a while yet, but I mean, Jacksonville, and then I imagine Texas is coming up. I know Dana wants to do Texas because they've kind of loosened up some of the, some of the mandates there. So um you know, the, yeah. the days of the quiet uh, listening to the leg kicks crack might be coming to an end here because we'll have screaming fans pretty soon. Yeah. And then even I mean, and then when you take in the vaccinations, you know, you're talking about all pro sports and, you know, it's going to be it by beyond that. It's a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I had covid a couple months ago now and I was actually due to get the vaccine for my job because I'm an essential worker and I got covid right before I was going to get the vaccine. So now I can't get it for three months or whatever. And, you know, every single person's situation is different. Some people don't want to get it for whatever reason. And, you know, it really, fi- you know, fights and sports are a small part of the world. But if that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we talk about here and it's going to lead to cancellations and rescheduling. And that's mm-hmm. just, just where we're at. Well, let's go ahead and move on to a, you know, the fights that we do have here and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, because if we lose any more of these main or co-main event fights, this card's going to be, you know, fight night quality at best here. But we do have an exceptional heavyweight championship fight. I mean, whenever you get to determine the, the baddest man on the planet, that's oftentimes enough to carry a card as is. We've got Stipe Miocic coming back. He's going to take on Francis Ngannou. This is a rematch of a 2018 fight in which Ngannou uh, lost. Stipe was able to outlast him take some power shots or control him on the mat for a large part of the fight and eventually sweep the scorecards here to get a judge's decision. But despite that outcome, Ngannou here enters as the betting favorite, about minus 120, where the comeback on Stipe is plus 100. DraftKings salaries reflect that accordingly, 8,400 for Ngannou, 7,800 for Miocic. Uh, Odds to finish, I mean, it'll move a little bit, but right now I'm looking at minus 435. So uh, quite a good chance that, uh, well, at least Vegas thinks that this fight won't need to have the judges involved here. Uh, I guess what are your what were your initial reactions to this, and do you see the outcome being any different this time around? Well, we just mentioned the depth of this card is not good, but you know there's nothing wrong with this one. This is a you know main event that could headline any show all year. Um, this is you know the fact you talked about the salaries and steep base seventy eight hundred, and as far as Vegas goes, um, he's plus one hundred about in the odds, essentially even money. The fact he is that close to Ngannou, it just tells you how great Stipe is. Because Ngannou looks like an unstoppable force. And if you put him in the octagon against any other heavyweight, Ngannou's salary is going to be you know, pushing the high eights or the low nines easily. Um, but the greatness of Stipe is the one thing that's keeping this thing close. And these two guys fought back in January 2018. Um Stipe won the fight. Uh, he's fought three times since then. Every single one of them was against Daniel Cormier, which is crazy. He hasn't fought anybody since then, since the first fight other than Cormier. Um, Stipe is a big power puncher. Obviously, he can't match um, Francis in that area, but he does have legitimate power. But without a doubt, Stipe's two greatest attributes are his durability and his athleticism. He's far more athletic than your average heavyweight and he's exceptionally durable. He took shots from Ngannou in the first fight. Um, shots that put most anybody else Ngannou hit out cold. So Stipe's proven he can take a punch. And essentially we're at the point where anybody who fights Ngannou is going to have to be able to take a punch. Because he just, I mean, the power, he's the most terrifying fighter in the sport. Um, I don't think that's debatable. I think it, with Khabib Nurmagomedov retired, I certainly think Ngannou's power is the biggest difference maker um, in the sport today. You know, Habib's wrestling was off, certainly up there when he was around, but I think Ngannou's power is definitely the biggest, 
the biggest attribute in the sport today. And, you know, Stipe, I mentioned the athleticism. His footwork is good. He moves his feet much more than your average heavyweight. He gets in and out, and that's going to be a necessity in a fight like this. Um, I'm going to pick Nganu. I picked him the first time. Um, I obviously got that one wrong. I'm going to go back to the well again. I will say I think Stipe is going to have an edge. If this fight sees a fourth or fifth round, I definitely think that's going to favor Stipe. Nganu's cardio has gotten a little bit better, but if this fight sees a championship rounds, Stipe should have a considerable edge. Um, it's just there. I just have a hard time getting past. This feels like the for me at least. It feels like the coronation of Nganu. Mm-hmm. Now I, I think that's how the UFC is probably setting it up too. Or at least that's what yeah. we might expect to happen. You know, I think you know. You talked about the heavyweight title is you know the prize of prizes. You know, not just in MMA. You know, you talk about the glory years of boxing. You know, the heavyweight championship. You know, is what what you fight for. And Nganu. Right after he lost to Miocic the first time, he had that really weird fight against Derek Lewis, mm-hmm. where Lewis's back was all messed up, so he couldn't do anything. And Ganu looked baffled and disinterested. The whole thing was strange. Yeah. It's like he but, was hesitant. Yeah, the, hesitant. Whole, the whole thing was weird. But since then, he's 4-0 with four knockouts. Jair Rosenstruck, Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez, and Curtis Blades. Obviously, two of those guys aren't in the UFC anymore. But you know, at the time, he fought those guys. That's... That's top mm-hmm. tier. That's, yeah, ring you know, guys for sure. Yeah, that's top of the top. Mm-hmm. And it's just the unique ability where Nganu can gl- can land glancing blows. Not even doesn't even have to catch guys flush. He could seem like he's barely grazing them, and guys just go out cold. Mm-hmm. And he's put a, uh, Francis has put a considerable effort into becoming a better all-around fighter he's he i mean he's met he's a massive man obviously he's in terrific shape his wrestling and his grappling has gotten better it's never going to be his strength certainly never on par with his power but it's certainly gotten better and he defends the takedown at 71 percent which is about a average number. That's a fair number. It's not great. It's not horrendous. He gave up six takedowns to Stipe in the first fight, and that can't happen again. Um, you know, if he's going to give it, you, you told me right now he'll give up one or two, I'd probably sign off on that and say he's probably going to win. I don't think he can give up six, but Ningana's power is the equalizer. But that power is not going to help him if he's fighting off of his back. Mm-hmm. So as long as as long as he gets to keep this standing, he has an advantage over Stipe and anybody else he fights. And I think the other important thing is I think the smaller cage at the apex has to be brought up here. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as wide. And if that favors anybody, uh, it, it should favor Ngannou more than any man in the company because mm-hmm. that gives his opponent less time to back up against the cage and more time for him you know, him throw bombs without his opponent being able to get out of the way. So like I said, I picked Ngannou the first time, got burned, going back to the well. I don't think there's a huge gap between the two. I would say both the salaries and Vegas odds are about right. And I think Sipe is experienced enough and crafty enough that I wouldn't be shocked if he won this. But I think, like you mentioned, and I think the UFC is kind of viewing this as Ngannou's crowning moment. And I think I kind of agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow, that was uh, that was pretty much the most complete breakdown I could have asked here. I don't have a ton more to add. I guess I'll, I got a couple notes before I'll make my pick. One, you mentioned Ngannou's four-fight win streak. Those fights have combined to be under three minutes total in all four of those fights. So he's putting away people and he's putting away people early it's not really too surprising to see he has the best odds of anybody on the card for a first round stoppage at plus 250 that's quite the number here normally you only see that from you know the giant minus four five hundred favorites with a lot of power so that's uh that's something there that bodes well for his his draft king status here um you know a lot of handicappers will say you know don't get too married to one outcome think for example if Nganu doesn't get the first round finish then how does this fight go it becomes a lot more even and that's why we have you know the odds a little bit close but John in the end I'm with you here I have to go Nganu I think he gets a an early stoppage here I think Nganu could pretty much you know as long as he doesn't you know let something he can pretty much run in there and charge and throw his shots and as long as he doesn't get taken down in that immediately you know that's the one risk of, of of going with that strategy you know like you said he can just glance you and really really wobble you and uh 
he, you know, he shouldn't be afraid to continue to throw combinations because that's pretty much how these fights have gone. He's he's blitzed. He's uh, you know, he landed his shots and he's put away his opponents. And the one thing, the other thing that stands out for me is you know, Ngannou's thirty four. Now, granted, heavyweights, uh, you know, their, their prime tends to be a, a little bit later than most weight classes here. Stipe is thirty eight, and you know, the two years ago, um, you know, anything's going to change for Stipe in those is two years. You know, he's not necessarily getting. You generally don't get faster, and you generally don't get more durable as you age here so steepy coming up on 40 while Nganu is right in his prime um that makes me think that uh that this is Nganu's fight through and through. Like you said, Stipe's only fought DC three times since the last Nganu fight, so I don't know what kind of power he tastes in sparring day in and day out, but like you said, no man can really replicate what how hard Francis Nganu hits. So, uh, you know, for those reasons, I think that Francis Nganu can put him away this time. It'll be a changing of the guard moment, and I don't see another heavyweight on this roster that can really beat Nganu or contend with Nganu. Maybe they do a trilogy fight. Maybe they try to bring Bones in there to contend a little bit. But otherwise, the third best actual heavyweight on the roster is Curtis Blades, in my opinion. And Nganu has already dismantled him twice here. So this is Nganu's fight, and I think it's a big moment for him on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think the UFC is certainly hoping that um, probably that Ngannou wins this fight and somehow mm-hmm. they can just book Ngannou and Jones and just make a boatload of them, just print money off it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if they, Stipe's been the champion a while, so he'd certainly have some kind of claim to an immediate rematch if he did lose. But, uh, you know, I think as far as the UFC and with Jones and Ngannou already going back and forth at each other on Twitter and stuff, um, I think that's kind of what they're hoping for is their end game here. Yeah, that's definitely options for the UFC because you could run back a trilogy here. Stipe certainly owned or earned it. And then you got John Jones waiting in the wing. That would be... That'll be an interesting show when we have to break that down because, you know, I think Ngannou's been listed as a slight favorite for a while and some sites that are doing futures, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. We're both picking Ngannou. It's a good DFS play, I think, because you're counting on that stoppage, that big stoppage bonus, maybe even the gone in 60 seconds stoppage, but I wouldn't really rely on that here because just because Stipe's a pretty savvy guy here. Um, for me, a stack's out of play because this is either... Nganu getting the quick win and Stipe not scoring much of anything or Stipe getting a grinding control time you win and Nganu not getting much so the stack's really out for me um, I think it'll be heavy Nganu exposure for me because 8400 is about the cheapest you're ever going to get him um, even you know I guess unless they fight bones and you know maybe that'll get closer to a pick so I'll take Nganu at the 8400 you know compared to what you're going to pay for some of these other favorites yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the cheapest you're probably. If he wins, it's certainly the cheapest you're going to see in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think he would be this cheap if he fought Jones. I just think the size difference would play a factor. So, mm-hmm. um, look, if if you want to get a piece of him, this is probably the most reasonable price you're going to get him at for a while. Yeah, minus one twenty. If you look at his odds history, he, he was even a bigger favorite against Stipe the first time they fought. So, yeah. All right, so I think we got the full picture painted here. Um, let's remember here that Brian Ortega, Alexander Volkanovsky, that was supposed to be the co-main course that fight is off so elevated to the co-main event we have tyron woodley and vicente luque uh luque a minus 255 favorite for this fight woodley's comeback is plus 215 uh the salaries of course reflect that 9100 for luque 7100 for woodley so woodley actually one of the cheaper fighters on you know on pretty much the whole card here um and the odds of finish plus 115 you know that'll probably hover around to pick them we'll see what happens here but i mean really the For me, this comes down to, you know, Woodley's faced some tough people lately and he continues to get beat by them. But do you believe Tyron Woodley is washed at this point? He looks washed. Um, It's not so much that the loss is. It's more how he's losing. Um, Tyron Woodley is going to be 39 years old early next month. Um, He's lost three fights in a row. Now, the fights have come against Kamaru Usman, Gilbert Burns, and Colby Covington were probably essentially the three best welterweights in the world at the moment. You know, maybe Leon Edwards is certainly in there, but, you know, there's certainly three of the top four. There's no doubt about that. Um, Anybody watching Tyron Woodley fight, even a novice MMA fan who, you know, only watches, you know, four or five times a year, whatever, can watch Woodley and see he's not the same guy he was in his prime. Um, Not even close, really. Um, The explosiveness he had back in the day... um, is gone he you know it used to come in short bursts now it doesn't come at all um 
he's spending way, way too much time defending himself on the feet and not doing it particularly well. Um, Woodley was always a good wrestler, but he never really used, he was never really used as wrestling inside the octagon. So it's not like even in his prime that that was a big part of his game plan, which is a shame because I think that's probably the area where he'd have the biggest edge over Luke is with his wrestling, but he wasn't using his wrestling in his prime. So I have a difficult time believing he's going to use it now. Um, he looks washed. Um, now he's going up in a, against an opponent in Luke who clearly has flaws. Um, you know, he's 12 and two in his last 14 fights. So, you know, it's hard to get on him too much. And those setbacks came against Edwards and Steven Thompson. So the only losses he has in his past 14 fights are against top tier guys. Um, Luke is one of those crazy aggressive fighters on the feet. Um, but the downfall of that is that he leaves holes for his opposition to hit him. Now, he lands 5.72 significant strikes a minute, which is an astronomically high number, and actually absorbs 5.82. So, I mean, as much as he's landing, he's getting hit even more than he's landing, which is you know not a good sign. That tells a, a good story, too. You might see that with a fighter with two or three fights, but Luke actually has that over a pretty big sample yep. size, so we know what he is. Yeah, he's not changing now. You know, last fourteen fight. You know, he, he's been in the company a long time. Um, and the other thing is, Luke is a volume over power guy in the sense that you know he's more combinations and trying to land a lot, like those numbers show, as opposed to a one punch knockout type artist. Um, the I'm picking Luke, and then I mean the main reason is I don't think you can pick Woodley against anybody halfway decent until he shows you something more than he's shown lately. Um, he he might be totally done. Like if he gets routed by Luke, with the UFC in the process of you know trimming the fat and older fighters who are you know firmly in gatekeeper status, we saw Alistair Overeem and Junior Dos Santos and Yoel Romero and names like that. If Woodley gets routed by Luke. He's firmly in that area. Mm-hmm. He, he's and done. He and Dana in, haven't exactly got along. Either, no, right? he's so. done in terms of possibly making a run. And I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I don't know the number. I'm sure he's making a bunch of money. You know, it just from a business standpoint, just not going to make mm-hmm. any sense. Yeah, anymore. I mean, a former champion, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm I'm out on using Woodley, and to be honest, I'm not overly. Hu- I'd rather use Luke than Woodley, only because Woodley looks done, but Luke looks overpriced to me. Um, it's, you know, 9,100, it's a lot of money mm-hmm. over 9,000 is a ton of money for a guy who look has clear flaws. And it's not as if Tyron Woodley is smashing guys on the feet and is landing f- upwards of six significant strikes a minute, like Luke eats. But, you know, there's, there's something about it that, you know, you, even though I think he's going to win, there's something about the price mm-hmm. tag about Luke that just worries me. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm with you on that because I'm picking Luke too. I wouldn't be, I'd be very surprised uh, if he wasn't a unanimous selection when it comes down to staff picks. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't think there's much buy low opportunity on Woodley at the age of 39. But just because we're agreeing on a lot of selections, I want to try to make a case for Woodley here. Now, Woodley has been a pretty pure counterpuncher these days, right? I mean, that's why the second uh, Wonder Boy Thompson fight and Woodley didn't necessarily go as action-packed here as the first because both were sitting and waiting to counterpunch here. And if anything, Luke's strategy plays into that um, with Woodley. I mean, Luke's going to come forward and throw with little regard for defense. And I don't know what you know what Woodley's left hand has at this stage of his career anymore, but there will be openings for him to land those counters. And does he have enough power left? Maybe not the first one, maybe the second or third. I mean, we saw Vicente Luque again. This is a while ago, but he got knocked around. He took his licks against Brian Barberina, and, you know, he's definitely not Tyron Woodley. So, you know, Luque gets hit enough. And what could Woodley land? Yes, and and to that extent, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm if I'm doing one of the twenty max entry tournaments, I might sneak Woodley in one or two lineups because he's one of the cheaper guys on the card. He gives you a lot of lineup flexibility here. I like him probably more than Thomas Almeida, who we'll talk about next. So yeah, maybe there's there's a case to be made for a little bit of exposure to Luke or, or to Woodley, but straight up, I think it's Luke all the way. Yeah, and I, maybe it's just me. I mentioned this in my preview article, and maybe it's because they fight and and fall in the same division but i just i look at what's going on with with woodley here and it it just reminds me of 
the uh, Johnny Hendricks situation. And it's maybe because they're both Walter Waits. But at at least just, Woodley's making weight. You know? Yeah, that's could never true. Make the weight I mean, and then it's, had to just, go up. it's just at least it's guys who looked great and like looked mm-hmm. dominant and then just like fell off a cliff. Yeah. Well, like, I guess Hendricks that coincided a little bit with USADA, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hennon Burrell is another name who yeah, comes up yeah. and talk about that guys who just, they have it and then they don't. And like, mm-hmm. there's no, you know, certainly Woodley's up there in age, but, and the competition level has been good. And, you know, he might not win fights against Burns and Usman and Covington, but you'd like to see some pushback. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Burns knocked Burns knocked him down seconds into the fight, and Woodley literally just offered nothing the rest of the way. Like he's not offering anything, and that it's it's just it's really concerning, and even more concerning when you take into account his age. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm giving it maybe like a five percent chance he lines up a counter just right, but uh, like I said, you know, I kind of compare him to Almeida in terms of pricing, and you're gonna have to make those decisions on what could be a nine fight, maybe a 10 fight card max here. So let's get into that Bantamweight matchup here. We got Sean O'Malley. The sugar show is back taking on Thomas Almeida. O'Malley, one of the larger favorites here, minus three twenty. come back on Almeida plus two sixty. Uh DraftKings O'Malley, a little bit more expensive than Luke at 9,200 where Almeida is 7,000. I believe that makes him the one of, yep. That makes him the cheapest fighter on the card. So yeah, Thomas Almeida and Tyron Woodley, two guys that were definitely once big names are not the two cheapest fighters on the entire card. So that kind of tells you something about how these have gone lately here. Odds to finish on this one. Um, Minus 185. So Vegas likes the judges to not get involved here. You know, I mentioned that first round finish prop, O'Malley plus 270, which is only 20 off of Francis Ngannou. Uh, so that tells you a lot here. I mean, is should Sean O'Malley be as big of a favorite as he is here, John? Yeah, probably. Um, he might actually deserve to be more of a favorite. And part of it is, a large part of it, is just from a stylistic standpoint. Um, I'm fairly shocked Thomas Almeida is getting another shot here with the company. Um, I believe back in the day, Dana White called him a first future UFC champion. He might have even like had him take pictures with the belt and his glasses, if I re- remember her. I could be wrong. But um, yeah, Almeida's lost three in a row and four of his last five. Um, he'll turn 30 years coming up, going to be 30 years old soon. Um, I mean, his last win, I'll just throw this out here. His last win was November 2016 against Albert Morales, who has been fighting under a promotion now called Lights Out Extreme. So there's yeah. some context here to the last time Almeida saw any success. Right. So Almeida's issue is essentially the same as Luque's, except Almeida takes it to the 10th degree. Almeida is just, and he has some power in his hands. He's just stupidly ridiculously aggressive no fight iq no sense of when to push forward when he to loves pull the back. flying stuff the flying stuff just, is crazy he reminds me of maybe a smaller diego ferreira who likes to try some of the crazy spinning stuff that's another word for stupid but yeah <laughs> yeah he just does he does stuff you can't do and at the help and look when you're fighting on the regional circuit and stuff he'll have more talent and more ability than whoever he's fighting. And you can get away with crap like that and still win fights. But in the, against, you know, the best the world has to offer, that's not going to work. Um, and this looks like a horrendous matchup for him against Sean O'Malley. Yes, I know Sean O'Malley's coming off his first career loss against Marlon Vera. But anybody who watched that fight, O'Malley was crushing Vera, tuning him up well on his way to winning before a lower leg injury essentially left him fighting on one leg and Vera finished him off. There's, I took I, some heat on Twitter for that. Someone's saying, oh, you're just standing O'Malley here. It was the Vera leg kicks that got him. And there's a little bit of debate about that out there. So I just want to throw that out there. But I do agree more along with your side that, you know, O'Malley was kind of, he was kind of coasting on his way there before the injury happened. Yeah, I, I'm I'm extremely confident O'Malley would have won that fight had that not happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the fight, you know, I'm I'm, assume, I'm also assuming he's fully healthy. There's no reason not to believe that. Um, his ceiling remains massive, and Sean O'Malley is one of the most creative and technical strikers, really, in the sport today in any division. And on the surface, this fight doesn't seem like it makes a ton of sense. I mean, Almeida obviously doesn't have a choice. You know, he hasn't won a fight since whatever you said, 2016. Mm-hmm. So he has to take whatever he can yeah. take. Yeah, and he gets Dana his, will tee him up for the new up-and-comer here. 
Right. He gets to he gets a chance to fight on pay per view, and you know O'Malley gets a fight. You know he certainly should win going away. He gets a pay per view payday and uh, and gets some eyeballs. So you know it's a, assuming O'Malley comes through, it's essentially a win win for everybody. But like I mentioned, stylistically, this seems like a disaster for Almeida. This fight is almost certain to be contested on the feet the entire time. And there are very few bantamweights on the roster I'd pick over O'Malley in a kickboxing match. Mm-hmm. He's technically sound, and on top of that, he's creative. And he can do things in there guys can't do. And I've seen zero, zero evidence Almeida can change the way he fights. Now, I'd, even if you told me he could, I don't think I would pick him at this point. But a guy who rush, rushes forward with reckless abandon all the time against the guy as creative as O'Malley, who can fire combinations and fire counter strikes and throws a ton of kicks, I don't think this fight's going to be close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the next guy that I pick to possibly beat O'Malley, and you know, th- those fighters will come as he rises up the ranks here. But the next fighter that I pick against O'Malley on is going to be one that offers some kind of dimension of uh, wrestling and grappling because O'Malley, 5'11, four inch reach advantage over Almeida. But we've talked about this before, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll change and develop more as he gets older, but he is a little bit slight of build here and I think someone that's very very physical I mean like if you were to get maybe I don't know Marab Dvalishvili or someone like that that type of fighter will be able to take him down but Almeida threatens that aspect zero Almeida has never had a takedown zero percent accuracy zero takedowns for 15 minutes never had a takedown that's just not how he fights and for me that's the perfect matchup for someone like O'Malley here so and you know minus 320 that's a pretty big favorite had you know, had he taken care of business in the Cheeto fight, had his body held up, um, of course, he probably wouldn't be fighting this fight. He'd be, you know, sniffing the rankings right now. But he'd know, also be minus 400 easy. Oh, I was going to say minus 600. You know, he'd be yeah. a huge, huge favorite, you know, had he uh, had he not had that injury in in the Cheeto Vera fight. So, uh, yeah, I think if anything, this is a bargain for O'Malley. I think he needs to be a core piece of DraftKings lineups, especially, you know, at 9,200 when there aren't a ton of huge, huge favorites that I like here. I mean, um, there's the Nurmagomedov on there, so people will have that. But then you start going down the list and, you know, until the, the guys – the fighters listed between Inganu and Luke, I don't see any of them as like super sure things here, uh, no matter what. So this is a card that you probably pay up for those ninety one hundred, ninety two hundred dollar guys. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. You know, it's and I'm not one of those. I'm not. You know, I know there are people who think, you know, Sean O'Malley's like a lock to be a bantamweight champion one day. I'm not there yet. I'm worried about the part of his game other than his striking. Like I said, he's not particularly muscular. I wonder if he'd have problems with guys who constantly threaten the takedown. But like you said, yeah. that's not Thomas Almeida. Yeah, I mean, that's the UFC will never do this, but that's here. why I mentioned Marab Dvalishvili, because I think he'd be right. able to have his way with O'Malley. And once he, I mean, once O'Malley gets up to the to the Aldo Garbrandt, even Corey Sandhay and Jan levels of the division, then, you know, I think he might have a bad time. But I see once he gets to, kind of towards the end of this top 10, I don't know if O'Malley wins, maybe he fights someone like Dominic Cruz. Or would they, if they do that, I don't know if that makes sense. Don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think the, the more Moral of the story is we're feeling pretty good about the Sugar Show on Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's like the same thing. You know, there's a reason they kept Conor McGregor away from Habib for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there is a stylistic thing, but I, I don't think there's anything. This just looks like I, I wouldn't overthink this one at all. This looks just like a basic fight to try and get O'Malley back on track. You yep. know, I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think it's more than that. All right, so two more fights on the pay-per-view card. One of them got announced, you know, super late. I mean, even today. But one that's been on there is Jamie Mularkey against Kama Worthy. Worthy is a minus one thirty-five-ish favorite. Come back on Mularkey plus one fifteen. Worthy eighty-six hundred on DraftKings. We'll get to that in a second. But like I said, in that in between, you know, when you jump. The fighters in between Nganu and Luke, um, they don't do a whole lot for me on DraftKings, and maybe I'll pay the price for that. But anyway, we're the 8,600, Mularkey 7,600. Odds to finish on this one, surprisingly minus 185 here. So uh, is this one where maybe you can smell an upset, Bruin? I think so. I mean, and look, like you just mentioned, once you get past like the first I don't know, two and a half fights on this card, especially now, you're going to have to make plays and use fighters you don't feel confident in that it's just where we're at mm-hmm. i mean this wasn't a deep card to begin with you know you maybe thought you could use a uh, volkanovsky or ortega and you know obviously you can't do that now either so um you're gonna have to make your stance somewhere here with names that you're probably not totally confident in this to me 
from a pure value standpoint, looks like a reasonable place to try and pull an upset. Jamie Malarkey, in terms of the Vegas odds, is plus 115. Um if that is true, and he is plus one, I mean, you know, it is true. That is the odds. But if you're plus one fifteen, you know, I don't think you should be a thousand dollars cheaper than your mm-hmm. opponent. If any, I'm um, looking right now. That moved since we posted your article. He's at about plus one ten now. So that, I mean, it wouldn't be wildly out of the question to see that flip. But there's definitely some line value on Malarkey. So I think he's going to be popular in DFS, at least from kind of the poker type minds. Yeah, no, it's definitely a value if you line up the odds and salaries. Now, um, you know, I met, you know, Woodley and Almeida, like I said, are both probably fighting for their jobs on Saturday. Um, Malarkey's probably in that same boat, and he's actually might even be in the worst shape of the three heading into the night um, because he doesn't have UFC win. You know, Tyron Woodley's a former champion. Thomas Almeida was one of the most hyped prospects in the league, in the league, in the, uh, in the organization, yeah. um, you know, Jamie Malarkey has no background whatsoever. Um, he's fought twice in the UFC. He's dropped unanimous decisions to Brad Riddell and Fariz Ziam. I probably said that wrong. Um, the highlight of his career was a fight in 2016 when he was knocked out to Volkanovsky's, uh, by Volkanovsky. So, look, that's not good. Um, on the other side, Kamworthy, who actually made a really nice impression, came in in August 2019, a very late notice replacement, knocked out Devontae Smith, submitted Luis Pena, but then came out last September and was knocked out by Atman Azatar. Great nickname. Um, very good nickname. The Death Star is an excellent nickname. And actually, it fits him perfectly. Another guy who is just straightforward, balls to the wall, you know, trying to go after, trying to go after the opposition. And he has power. And, you know, he can mix in an occasional submission. But I uh, like with Worthy, another guy, I wonder really how effective he's going to be if those power punches aren't landing. Like, you know, I know he has a couple submissions in his career, but he still kind of looks like a one dimensional power puncher in terms of offense. Um, I wrote in my preview article that I try to stay away from this fight if I could simply because the range of outcomes appears to be really wide. I mean, now we're down to what, like yeah. nine fights, maybe yeah, eight I fights. Mean, we don't even, we don't even know. So unless you're stacking fights, you're going to have to pick six of them to pick. You know? Yeah. And we don't, we don't, we don't have anything we like in terms of stacks really. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have to do something you don't really want to do. Um, so I ended up going with Malarkey here. Uh, you know, the main reasons was what we mentioned earlier in terms of the salaries in relation to the Vegas odds and you know were these 34 years old and I just you know I don't think the odds of him running off any kind of streak are really high he looks kind of one-dimensional he looks like he has some explosiveness but you know not to the point where I'd look at him and say oh he's gonna you know roll through everybody so look I'll take the 7600 and uh hope that thousand dollar savings helps me somewhere else mm-hmm. yeah you know I'm with you on this one a couple of our other writers are you know I posted AJ's betting preview and he pretty much was able to convince me to go over to the malarkey side here it's funny saying that because the expression anyway uh it's if, if you bet malarkey if you use malarkey you're gonna have to sweat two three minutes pretty tough because you know worthy's gonna come at it and it's gonna depend if uh you know malarkey can kind of withstand that early onslaught but if he can i think the tides could turn significantly in malarkey's favorite i i could see malarkey losing in the first round because of uh you know a striking differential situation but then coming back and winning the, the rounds two and three as worthy starts to tire out here i mean Malarkey lost his first two fights. He's 0-2 in the UFC, but he still has eight combined takedowns in those losses. And then you look on Worthy's side, it's a small sample size, three-fight sample size. His takedown defense is only 57%, and that's because Luis Pena took him down for three three times there and actually threatened, you know, with submissions and stuff on the ground. So, um, it's going to be up to Malarkey to withstand kind of that early storm, and if he can do that, I actually like him. So I like him at 7,600. I'm definitely buying the line value. It makes sense that the line has moved as, as it can. Is worthy a fine GPP option if you're hunting for those knockouts? Sure. I mean, I've been talking about that gone in 60 second bonus, those first round finish props. Worthy is the third highest on the list after Nganu and O'Malley at plus 360. So, you know, Vegas thinks there's at least a shot he can get it done in the first round. But man, if he doesn't, I would start to get real, real worried. So maybe there's a live betting opportunity in there if Malarkey can get out of the first round and still have his wits about him. Or, you know, you just take Malarkey as the underdog there. I think I would have more exposure 
closer to malarkey than worthy and load up on uh you know the the o'malley and the luke those types of fighters so that's kind of how i play this one yeah i agree i mean my main concern about malarkey is even if he survives the first round and we end up in the second round the third round he doesn't look like the kind of guy who's going to be able to generate a ton of offense in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And if it's that the, that's the case, even if he does enough in rounds two and three to take a decision, I don't know if he's going to help you a ton in terms of fantasy scoring. Yeah. It does but, help with the new control time scoring yeah. that Kings has. So that yeah, helps hope Malarkey's he can, case for sure. Yeah, maybe he can get a takedown in each round and you know try and keep mm-hmm. him pinned to the mat for a while. It, look, it, we're, we're going to talk about Jillian Robertson and Miranda mm-hmm. Maverick next. You know, that's where we're at here. It's just, you know, it's just not a lot of depth and, you know, you got to figure it out somehow. Yeah, let's jump right into that. Jillian Robertson, Miranda Maverick. Maverick is the betting favorite at minus 160, plus 140 for Robertson here. Uh, the DraftKings salaries, I believe, are Robertson is 7,400 here, whereas Maverick is 8,800. So, you know, $1,400 difference. That's, that's quite a bit there in my eyes. We might see this one a little bit differently here, but, uh, you know, what are your general thoughts on this one? See, Maverick only has one UFC fight. Robertson's been around a little while. Maverick seems to have a striking advantage where Robertson might be able to, uh, if she can get her to the ground, maybe things could start going her way. I mean, is that how you generally see this? Yeah, I mean, it's weird. You know, this was supposed to take place about a month ago. Um, Maverick, um, Maverick Robertson had an illness that was non-COVID related, so it had to be pushed back about a month um, Robertson certainly has a massive experience edge. Like I said, Robertson has nine UFC bouts. Maverick only has one. Um, Robertson fights often. Um, she fought three times in 2019. She fought three times in 2020. You know, we have fighters now who, you know, seem to fight once every 18 months. And she's fought six times over the last couple of years. Um, and she's still fairly young. Actually, she's really young. So 25 years old. So although we've seen Robertson a lot, um, she's still young. But she's had a real problem remaining the least bit competitive against better competition. Um, you know, I, I, we don't know, obviously, if Maverick falls into that ca- category. She has all one fight with the company. But my ultimate problem with my biggest issue with Robertson is the complete lack of power in her hands. She has one career knockout, and not only does she only have one career knockout, it's that she's not threatening her opposition on the feet at all. Um, her opposition has nothing to worry about in terms of the stand-up, and it's quite clear when watching her, mm-hmm. her entire game plan revolves around trying to get her opposition to the ground. Mm-hmm. Maverick um, will definitely look to press forward here for sure. A hundred percent. She's one of the youngest fighter, younger fighters on the roster. Um, she won't turn 24 until July, so she's 23 now. Um, and Maverick's been around too, not in the UFC, but she made her pro debut back in tw- as a 19-year-old in November 2016. Um the fact she has 12 pro fights under her under her belt at such a young age is a certain positive, certainly a positive. But um, you know, we talked about how inconsistent Robertson's been, and she's still going to be by far the best opponent Maverick's seen to date. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an idea of some of the competition she's faced. And this is a real contrast in styles. Robertson is a pure submission specialist. Maverick, on the other hand, is really, I mean, obviously our sample size is small, but she has the look of just a reckless brawler. She's really, really aggressive. It's kind of the same Thomas Almeida, Vicente Luque game plan. Um, Push forward, except she doesn't have the power of Luque or Almeida. Um, She certainly fights physically for a woman who's only 5'3", and her technical skills are clearly lacking. But, you know, she's young and, you know, she can certainly make up that difference. Um, I ultimately thought Maverick's physicality and aggressiveness edge will probably be enough to win. But she seems ridiculously overpriced from a DraftKings standpoint. Yeah. She's 8,800. Um, I would have said this is a close to a pick em for me. So if you want to give Maverick a little bit of an edge, that would make her – well, pick em be 8,100 apiece, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to say Maverick has a little bit of an edge, maybe she should be 8,200 or 8,300. She certainly shouldn't be 8,800. So even though I'm going to pick Maverick to win, I'd much rather use Robertson and hope Maverick, hope Maverick pushes forward, gets lazy. Robertson can maybe get a trip in or something and then do something on the ground. Yeah, pull an arm out. And honestly, like, so if the biggest knock on Robinson 
or Robertson is the lack of power in her hands. We do have to mention that six of her nine pro victories are via submission here. And uh, Maverick, her two pro losses, you know, we're going to peek at that real quick, hasn't been submitted before, but again, hasn't faced anybody the caliber of Robertson. So if you look at this as a pick fight, I'm leaning Robertson a little bit because I think the experience factor comes into play. But again, you have both in the player pool, at least in case Maverick manages to get, uh, you know, a stoppage with her hands because Robert, I guess Robertson's only been knocked out once and five losses but I, I, give me the experience with Robertson in this one when this fight was originally supposed to happen I was actually on Robertson because there wasn't much for underdogs on that card and again you're you're limited in fights here but I think I got a couple underdogs I might lean towards a little bit more we can kind of talk about that next here when we get to the final portion of our our show here where we just kind of open the floor up here I do want to mention William Knight because the Alonzo Menafield fight got canceled or he had a he had a withdrawal got rescheduled for a later date. William Knight is now going to take on um oh, let's see here. He's going to take Get on Fabio right. Chirant and Knight's already out there on DraftKings at 8100, right? Now once these contests are launched, you can't really change his price here. So Knight's going to be 8100 or I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh Menafield's going to be 8100, I'm sorry. Um against uh against Fabio Chirant here and Menafield's listed as a minus 250 favorite pretty much across the board. So you want to talk about line value. You get a minus, you know, you don't know that much about Chirant, but you get a minus 250 favorite at, at, at 8,100. I think, although Menafield's definitely let me down a couple times before, I think this is a good spot for him. It has to. I mean, Menafield and Knight before the fight had to be rearranged was literally the straightest straight up pick them you can get both guys were 8800 in DraftKings, vegas salaries both guys were minus 110 which tells you everybody vegas on the dk salaries tell you it is as close to a pick them as you get they fight 10 times both guys win five so from a value standpoint no doubt about that one um if we're going underdogs um the other guy i thought was halfway decent was abu azatar Against Marc Andre Barrio, I am not was not impressed with what I've seen out of Marc Andre. Um, the early returns in the UFC are not good. He is 0 and 3 in the company. Dropped decisions to Andrew Sanchez, Christoph Jatko, and Jun Young Park. That's not a murderer's row competition. Um, he ended up with a no contest in his most recent fight over Oscar Piocha. He had a bunch of knockout wins early in his career on the regional circuit in Canada, but he's been hit too much in the UFC, and I just I haven't been impressed with what I'd seen. Mm-hmm. So I think um, Azatar looks like a reasonable underplay, an underdog play. My one concern about Abu is that he's been on the sidelines since July of 2018. Mm-hmm. He hasn't fought in almost legitimately three years, so that's always concerning. But look, you're, there's not a ton here. Which makes um, Menafield at eighty one hundred, like you mentioned, yeah. even more even more appealing. Like I even mean, if you weren't on board to begin with, the fact that your options have been dwindled, you know, so much, you almost have to get on board now. I mean, I'm looking at like I would guess like sixty percent ownership at least, if not greater, for Menafield, given the small amount of fights. Now, if you're trying to win that hundred fifty k top prize. You know, maybe you throw Trent in there and and hope for a miracle, and you know, then that might get you enough differentiation to consider that. But I could see huge, huge ownership for Menafield given that line value there. I'll take the line value on Malarkey as well, mix in some Robertson. I also, uh, I'm also taking a look at Modestas Bukaukis a little bit. Um, he's going up against Mikhail Olekshezuk. I think I got that one right. I was practicing. Um, Oleg Shezuk's a minus 160 favorite. But to me, that breakdown actually, uh, it fares similar to the malarkey-worthy one. I think Oleg Shezuk's going to have a good first round. Um, you know, maybe land some shots. And if Bukowskis can outlast them, we've seen from a few of Oleg Shezuk's fights that the cardio starts to fade a little bit. And, uh, you know, in the betting preview that Cole wrote on the site today, he said he liked Bukowskis for maybe a second or third round stoppage. And I can get behind his reasoning there. Bukowskis is, uh, Bukowskis or, or however, is uh, 7,700. So maybe another option to think about here. So, I mean, geez, we almost touch on every single fight on that card, John. Uh, hopefully we give you guys some plays to consider here on what on what's really a, a shallow card and, and you know hear me knock on wood here but uh we got to get through weigh-ins here because otherwise there could be no prelims 
Yeah, I mean, uh, we lost one of the underdogs I liked a little bit, um, Jessica Penne and Hannah Goldie. Um, I picked Goldie to win, but I thought Penne at a 70 – she said it was 7,900. Goldie was 8,300. Mm-hmm. I thought at a $400 discount was a reasonable price for Penne, even though she hasn't been any good. Mm-hmm. But Goldie's only fought once with the UFC. Well, so They're going to run it back April 17th, so we'll have a chance. Yeah, then. so there you go. You got, but, yeah, I thought that was – It's look, it's tough. We don't know the status of Shane Young and Omar Morales – uh yeah we're down yeah. to what eight maybe nine yeah exactly i mean nine maybe ten i, I, I nine, guess ten. yeah so i guess this is as good a time to any to plug at rotowire mma on twitter once we see news we write it and all of our updates get auto tweeted so anything relevant to DraftKings and fantasy we're going to have you covered there our breaking news team does a heck of a job getting all that news pumped out for you and of course john you'll have recaps from that account on saturday night when we uh we talk about ufc 260 so any final thoughts on the card here before we sign off uh, you know, if if you're gonna plan on ordering the pay per view, I uh I might wait till Saturday during the day to make sure nothing happens to the main event because if something happens to one of them, um, you might see this fight on ESPN Plus. Yeah, but I mean, overall, this as long as the heavyweights are in action. Oh no, that that no, that absolutely carries yeah. it. Yeah, that it's makes just, that makes it enough to say this one's worth buying. You know, you, we don't we don't have any formal relationship with the UFC necessarily, no. so we don't have to stand by in every single card. I'd still buy this just for the heavyweights. I mean, this one does yeah. it for me. No, the heavy it's this the heavyweights. We talked about, you know, we got a, a card coming up that's going to have three title fights on it. This fight is bigger than anything on that card and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this 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 is one of the probably half dozen biggest fights you'll see made this year and it's one of those legit heavyweight battles that can go either way and has a backstory behind it you got a guy who looks like an unstoppable force against the guy who's proven time and time again that he can defeat guys who you know they don't think people don't think he's going to be able to beat and you got the fact it's a rematch so you know it had the there's no doubt that the main event here has a ton going for it let's just knock on wood and hope it gets to saturday Right on. I'm with you there. Well, hey, thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Again, ESPN Plus is the exclusive home where you can catch UFC 260 in Ganu versus Miocic. Uh, for John Littering, I'm Jake Litarski. You can follow John on Twitter again at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can give me a follow, please, at Roto Jake. We're going to be back with you prior to UFC 261. That's Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal 2. Until then, best of luck with the lineups, you guys, and uh, hope to catch you next time.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.